Hello, everyone. I am so excited that we are back for episode two of the Lincoln's podcast, Tax and Stuff. My name is Kim and I am the host of the podcast as well as a manager here at Lincoln's. So just a disclaimer before we get started, I do just need to let you know that the information in today's podcast is of a general nature and does not consider individual circumstances. So if you have any questions, please just get in touch with your accountant. It's only episode two and we are already changing it up. Today, I am joined by our workplace relations advisor and ultimate HR guru, Jenny, and she will be joining me for the whole episode today where we're going to talk about three subjects. So welcome, Jenny. Thanks, Kim. Good to be here. So this episode is for a whole range of people. If you're a parent or thinking about becoming a parent, if you're a director of a company or if you're an employer, this episode is for you. So let's get into it. So our first subject is for all of the company directors out there who are listening today. I've heard a little bit about a new thing called a DIN, D-I-N. What's that all about, Kim? Yes, DIN stands for Director's Identification Number. And yeah, I think that's why they call it a DIN because it's a much nicer thing to have to say. So this is a new requirement by the Australian Business Registry Services or the ABRS, which is what I'm going to call it from now on because it's a lot nicer. Basically, it's just a new requirement if you're a company director so that they can trace directors better and basically try and stop the illegal activity that apparently is happening with company directors at the moment. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, So if I'm a director in a company at the moment, what do I need to do? This came in on the 1st of November. So if you were a company director before the 1st of November, you have a full year to apply for this DIN. It's a really simple process. You just jump onto the ABRS website and follow the application. We've had a look at it. It looks pretty simple, but obviously we can also help you with that. If instead you become a company director anytime from the 1st of November to the 4th of April, you actually only have 28 days to get your DIN number from when you become a director. From the 5th of April onwards though, you have to have your DIN before you even become the director. So yeah, I think easy process, jump in, have a look, get in touch if you need any help. But if you're a Lincoln's client, don't stress because we're already onto it and you'll be contacted soon. Great, thanks Kim. Okay, so on to our next subject, and this one is for employers. So Jenny, there's been a bit going on with super funds lately. Can you tell me a bit about this? I sure can. Um, Firstly, back in July, most people, employers would know that the super guarantee went up from 9.5 to 10%. So I'm not talking about that. This is a whole separate thing called super stapling. Super stapling is where a super fund is stapled or linked, to use a better word, to an employee and it follows them around from job to job. So to give you a bit of background, back in October last year, the federal government announced a super reform package called Your Future, Your Super. There was a number of reasons that the government introduced this package, but the main one being it's going to prevent employees having multiple super funds and therefore it'll reduce the fees they pay because they're only paying fees on one super fund. This change was introduced from the 1st of November. So if you're employing people from the 1st of November forward, then these new rules will apply. Okay, cool. So if I'm an employer, what does this mean? Do I need to do anything differently? 
Yes, you do need to do things differently. Firstly, there's no change in the use of the super choice form, but just be aware it has been updated to include information on stapled funds. So always use the most recent version from the ATO website. So you still need to give that to your employees within 28 days of their commencement of employment. If your employee submits that form by nominating their super fund account or by choosing to use your default fund, then that's the end. There's no change, you just carry on as normal and you pay the super into that fund. Where it's different is if the employee doesn't give you that form, then what you need to do is rather than defaulting to your default fund, which is what you would have done before, you actually need to log on to the ATO online services website and request the employee's super fund that's stapled to them. What you need to do for that is enter a bit of information about the employee, mostly their TFN, their date of birth, and in some cases their address. And the ATO will then produce back a receipt of what that employee's super fund that's stapled to them is. Once you've got that, you then pay the super guarantee into that account. Okay, fantastic. So I think we'll put a link to the website that you're talking about in our show notes so that any employers can go and check out a bit more information on that. Our last subject today is all about the childcare subsidy. And our newsletter last month prompted quite a few questions from clients around this very topic. So we thought we'd include a bit more of that today. The questions we got were mostly around how your income and the number of hours you work tie in together. So Kim, can you tell us a bit about how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So firstly, the childcare subsidy is for any families that have children that are in any kind of daycare or after hours school care. And there are two different tests for the subsidy, um, which I'm going to go through today. Firstly, there is the rebate percentage. So with daycare, you will pay a daily fee for your child, and that amount varies between different areas. So in Albany, you pay about $100 a day. Based on your family's combined income level, you will then get a percentage of that amount rebated by the government. So for an example, if your family's combined income is less than $69,390, your rebate is going to be 85%. However, if you pocket somewhere between, say, $189,000 and $353,000, then those rebates are obviously stepped back based on that. The other thing is that if you are earning above $189,000, there's actually a cap at the moment per child of $10,560. So then the other side of it, the second part of the childcare subsidy is actually based on your activity levels. And what this means is that between the two spouses, whoever does the lesser amount of work hours needs to advise the tax office of how many hours of work they do. But work can mean a few different things. It can include paid work, volunteering and studying. So for that person, say if their hours are less than eight hours, If you earn above $70,000, you get no subsidy. If you work less than eight hours and you earn less than $70,000, you can get 24 hours per fortnight. But then say if you work for 16 to 48 hours in a fortnight, you can get 72 hours of, of rebate. So that's how that kind of works. This does mean that you could be eligible for quite a high rebate, but then you may not actually have a high enough activity level to get the amount of childcare you would like. 
So you do just have to consider both of those things. Okay. I've heard that there's some changes coming up in relation to all this, though. Yes. Can you talk us through that? Yes, there is. So... Families with two or more children in care under six years old are actually now going to receive an additional 30% on top of the current subsidy. So an example of that is that your first child may be eligible for a 50% subsidy. This means that your second child is actually going to get an 80% subsidy and that subsidy for the second child is going to be capped at 95%. And the good thing about this is that this is going to come into effect four months earlier than the government originally announced, and it's going to come in on the 7th of March. So that'll be really good. To be eligible, though, you do need to have two or more children, and they both need to be in care at the same time, and your combined household income needs to be less than $353,680 a year. The other thing is that $10,560 cap that I talked about earlier is actually being scrapped and that is being scrapped from December which is great and it is also going to be backdated so while it comes in in December if you've already reached your cap for this year the government's actually going to go back and they're going to give you your rebates for that period and going forward so yeah it's pretty good it's going to help about 250,000 Australian families and it's going to help people by about $2,000 a year they're saying so yeah all right so thank you everyone for listening to episode two and thank you so much to Jenny for joining me thanks Kim So we're going to release a podcast episode every second month. So make sure you keep your eyes and ears out for that one. Our next episode is going to be on cryptocurrencies and micro investing. So I know that that is definitely a hot topic for a lot of people. One quick reminder that your September bus is due for electronic lodgement by the 25th of November. And lastly, Jenny has a quick update she wanted to give. I do. Just a heads up, I guess, to let everyone know, if you haven't heard already, that the new Work Health and Safety Act is going to be effective from January 22. We're awaiting the regulations to be finalised before the exact date is released, but I think we can sort of safely say around about the 1st of January. This is going to be a big change for employers. It's going to affect all employees in WA and it's going to replace the Occupational Safety and Health Act. So lots of changes there for employers and safety. All right. So keep your eye out on social media and our website for some more information as we do get that finalised date and things like that on that. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening in and we will be back in two months time. Mm -hmm.